This is day 17 of our daily Bible reading. We will be going through Exodus chapters 31 through 35 today. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to study your word, to understand your truth. And Lord, even though this was written so long ago, just how relevant and how much it impacts us today. And Lord, that we may take your word with gladness today and apply it to our lives in a way that benefits us according to your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture of the tent, the table also, and its utensils, and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, along with all its utensils, and the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons, with which to carry on their priesthood, the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever put any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. When he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a god 
who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power? and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat. But the sound of singing I hear. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they had made 
and burned it with fire, and ground it into powder, and scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about three thousand men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas! This people has committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, 
Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face 
shall not be seen. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words which were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the Lord knows the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all of the, your people I will perform miracles, which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, and the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself, that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars, and smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods, and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. And you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods, and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib, 
you came out of Egypt. The first offspring from every womb belongs to me, and all your livestock, the first offspring from cattle and sheep. You shall redeem with a lamb the first offspring from a donkey. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall work six days, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing time and harvest you shall rest. You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks, that is, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover to be left over until morning. You shall bring the very first of the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two mountains of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of all his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. 
You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, and ram skin dyed red, and porpoise skins, and acacia wood, and oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful man among you come, and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat, and the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles, and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, and its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense and its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, everyone whose heart was stirred in him, and everyone whose spirit moved him came out and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches, and earrings, and signet rings, and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. 
the Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship, to make designs for working in gold, and in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and the carving of wood, so as to perform in every inventive work. He also has put in his heart to teach, both he and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroider, in blue and in purple and in scarlet material, and in fine linen and of a weaver, as performers of every work and makers of designs. Now for today, we have some very important things to talk about. Uh, many things in the Bible are extremely important, but some of these are definitely worth repeating. We need to know that anytime the Bible repeats itself, multiple times especially, it is definitely something that is of vital importance for us that we have to keep in mind. So many times you see this talk of the Sabbath coming over and over and over. He's making it very clear how important this Sabbath day is. I mean, it is one of the Ten Commandments. And even in today's world, it is very important that we observe a Sabbath day. Not exactly to the same extent, because as Jesus said whenever he came, that he was Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was for man, he understood that we need rest and we also need time to slow down and to contemplate the truth of God. This was much more severe in the Jewish culture, I mean, to the point where it said that if you do any work on the Sabbath, you are to be put to death. I mean, that is pretty serious. And thank God we don't have to take it that seriously today, but it is certainly something that should be a posture of heart that we prepare for every week. Not just go to church on Sunday and struggle through getting the kids ready and you know, just showing up, but it should be an investment, something that we look forward to and something that we prepare for. You know, think about what we talked about a few days ago with Jacob. Remember what he said about going up to Bethel? Remember? He said this was after he was uh, had his wrestling match with Jesus, and he was saying, well, we need to prepare and go up to Bethel. Because he understood that before you approach the throne of God, especially in worship, we should be examining ourselves and humbling ourselves before him so that we would come to him with our hearts open, ready to receive him, and putting our egos and our pride aside to leave room for God. So he understood that. And this is the same kind of language being used here, that we should be preparing our hearts for the Lord in this time. Now, I, I've always found it very interesting 
that when Moses received the Ten Commandments, they were written by the finger of God. I wonder what his handwriting was like. Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure it was perfect, right? I'm sure it was perfect because everything God does is perfect. But let's talk about this golden calf. What in the world did they do? <laughs> okay, so they thought that something happened to Moses, that Moses was killed or something, and they thought that they were left without a leader. So they decided to do whatever felt right at the moment. And so they took whatever gold articles they had and gave them to Aaron, and Aaron made a golden calf. There's a couple of ways that we can look at this. Some people think that this was a form of idolatry where it was a separate god altogether. But then there's also a camp that believes that this was actually a physical representation of the Lord himself that they were trying to do. They weren't necessarily they weren't necessarily trying to to defy God in anything he said, but in their mind, they thought it was right to make an image that represented God properly. If we recall in chapter 8 of Exodus that this is a particular kind of idolatry that was widely practiced in Egypt, and so they're doing what they were accustomed to doing in Egypt. And that, that theme is going to keep coming back throughout the five books of the law, right? You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The same things are going to happen over and over and over where they're going to long for the previous things. We saw that in Lot's wife. She looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we, we're going to see it with the people of Israel. They're going to think back to the things of Egypt and think of them as good. The good old days, if you want to call it that. We remember what kind of oppression they went through. We saw the forced labor they had on their hands, that they were enslaved. They had no will of their own. They were at the mercy of their masters in Egypt. And yet, when they... Think of Egypt at times during their hardships. They think of it with fondness. And, oh, we used to have these pots of meat every day in Egypt. and We never lacked vegetables. And, oh, we never had problems with water in Egypt. And, oh, you know, that and the spices in Egypt. And, and, oh, you know, we were fine with the labor over there. But you all took us out of there and... And it's in this idolatry is the exact same thing as, oh, I remember when we would have these idols in Egypt and they're longing for the things of Egypt. Did you know that we, in this present day, long for the things of Egypt sometimes? What does that mean? Spiritually, that is longing for the things of our past before we were saved. The things that enticed us, that we loved, before the Lord put his love in us. In my case, video games, right? We should not long for the things of Egypt, because those things are in our past. We are now new creatures in Christ. 
And he has something much better for us than what the world could ever offer us. And yet we still pine for those things. And we need to avoid being that way. It is not wholesome, nor is it good for us to do that. In fact, it, it hurts our relationship with God because we are seeking something other than him actively. So we shall not do this. But they took it a step further as well, what they did when they made the golden calf. So when they declared a feast to the Lord, it says that the next day they rose early, offered burnt offerings, peace offerings, and then the people sat down to eat and drink, and then rose up to play. What does that mean? They had a sex party, and it was disgusting. And so they thought that was an acceptable form of worship, and that's probably what they did in Egypt, but this is not the way God had things. So meanwhile, you see the conversation up on the mountain between God and Moses, and Moses is trying to defend Israel in front of an angry God. God is furious with them. And he literally says, I have seen these people. They are obstinate people. Leave me alone so that I may destroy them. But Moses, I will spare you and I will make a great nation of you. And then you see Christ here. How he defends Israel just like Christ defends us in front of the Father in his anger. And I love what he says here. I'm going to read some of it. 32 verse 11. He entreated the Lord his God. O oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? And then he appeals to his holiness. Why would you want the Egyptians to speak ill of you, that with evil intent you brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to destroy them? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm. Remember the covenants that you held with my ancestors. Remember what you told them. Lord, remember your covenants. And then we have to understand this properly, okay? Verse 14 says that the Lord changed his mind. But this was a very poor translation in English. This is not the real Hebrew word spoken here that God changes his mind. Why? Because there's elsewhere in the Bible that says that God never changes his mind. So if that is true, then it would be a contradiction. And we cannot have contradictions in the Bible because then either God is a liar or he does not always make perfect decisions. And both of those are problematic, are they not? If we understand God to be perfect... He certainly can't make mistakes. So what is the real word here? The real word here is that he relented. He chose not to act upon it. And here's the thing we have to understand is he knew that Moses was going to defend him. And he tested him. You know this is not the first time this has happened, right? We've been reading this uh, Bible from the very beginning. When was the last time someone entreated 
his people. Wasn't it Abraham that entreated his people in the same kind of way? He, he went and challenged God's character. He appealed to who he knew who he was. You know? So Abraham said to him, Lord, I know who you are. May it never be that you act out in such a way. That is not who you are. And it's the same way that Moses is handling here is, Lord, I know you. I've learned to know who you are, and I know you are not this way. I know you are a perfect God. I know you're holy. You are righteous. And this is far beneath you to do this. It was a test. He's testing Moses. And in turn, he's testing us as well. Do we know God like that? Do we know the Lord like that? And we really should. Because he desires to be known that way. And the only way we can know him that way is if we seek him daily. Know it like it's a relationship. Like a, like a relationship. Like you're going on a date. Or, you know, the way that you speak to your husband or your wife. Or even your kids. You know, that, that fondness, that affection. That you seek him daily in prayer and in his word. We need to have that. Absolutely need to have that. So no, God did not change his mind, but it was a test to see if Moses would defend his people. And he has proven himself because you see after this time, then Moses progressed to the next step. He became a friend of God and spoke to him face to face. You see that progression, that maturity. This is the same Moses that we read a few chapters ago that fled at every little thing and gave himself every excuse to not do what God said and was a coward. And now this is what Moses is turning into and you see that God is loving it. This is exactly what he knew was always in Moses' potential and he's finally reaching his potential. And now he's ready. He's ready for the next step. And that's what he wants to do with us, too. He teaches us the lessons to mature us and to get us ready for the next step. And we need to learn the lessons. So now we see Moses um, fixing the issue and taking this very seriously. You do not profane the name of God. So whoever is for God, go and destroy those that caused all these problems. And what's very interesting is that Aaron is in the middle of all this. And he did not take responsibility for any of it. Why, like it says here in verse 21, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, don't let the anger burn. You know yourself that they are prone to evil. So they did all this stuff and I just threw them into a fire and out came this calf, you know, taking no responsibility at all. You know, and he blamed them when he was the leader. He's not there yet, as you can see. He's not at the same level Moses is at yet, and that's fine. He'll get there, but um, that's why he was spared, and also because God had already promised that he was going to be a priest in front of the Lord. So imagine how humbling that would be. After knowing that he did this, now he's going to be a high priest in front of the Lord. That's quite the challenge. But he's not wrong in this sense. 
Do you know the people that they are prone to evil? It's in our nature. I'll keep saying it every time. It's in our nature. We are no different the, the, than the Israelites. We have to understand that. So don't ever make fun of these Israelites. Like, oh man, these guys are so stubborn and so stupid. We're the same way. With the Lord didn't intervene, we're, we would be the same way. Now, you see near the end of chapter 32, you see how he says here, the Lord is saying, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. It talks later about there being a book of life that our names are written in if you are numbered among Christians, true Christians. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will go to the kingdom of heaven, right? But the ones who are written in the actual book of life are the ones that will be allowed to enter in to heaven. And if you are not written in the book or you have been blotted out from the book, then you will be damned forever, unfortunately. So then we go to chapter 33, moving quickly here. You see another appeal of Moses to the Lord saying that, well, you know, tell the Israelites that they are an obstinate people and I cannot go with them because I would destroy them. Their sin is so great. I would have nothing to do with them. So I'm going to keep at a distance with them. But Moses used to go outside the tent and he used to meet with him face to face. And as we see here, like it says near uh, halfway through the chapter, that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And I'm sure that you see the people just going over there like, whoa, look at that. Look at him going. You see the cloud coming into the tent and, you know, that closeness that Moses has with God. And they didn't have that at that in those days. But guess what? We do now. You can be named the same way as Moses. You can speak with the Lord face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. But you have to seek him. Again, you have to seek him in prayer, seek him in his word, and then worship him in everything that we do. And then you see Moses doing something very beautiful here. He is hungry for God's presence. And I, I want us so bad to be this right here. He says this to the Lord. You say, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and have all, you have also found favor in my sight. Now I pray to you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. And God responded favorably. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. He's, that's not the last time he said that, remember? Jesus Christ said it when he walked the earth as well. Is that anyone who is heavy, you know, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This is the same God. This same God that's speaking to Moses here is the same God who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. It's the same person. If your presence does not go with us, Lord, do not lead us up from here. How then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? 
That's what distinguishes us as Christians from the, the everyone else. The Lord is with us, not against us. And the Lord answers him, I will do this very thing. I will do it. And he has continued to do it for all of human history. He has stayed with us when he has called us. How beautiful is this? How I'm just getting so overwhelmed by thinking about it. This is so beautiful. And then he he starts showing here at, at the end of chapter 33 the idea of grace. Moses says, show me your glory. And then God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Then he adds also this part here. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. I pick who is going to be saved. I pick who I'm going to show favor toward. My grace. And what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. Nothing you can earn, nothing that you can work for, but God just decides sometimes to show extra grace to certain people for some reason. He decides that for himself. And so we have to understand that none of this is in our control. All of this is in God's control and in his timing. So we certainly have to know this and be accepting of it and just let God do what he needs to do. We just need to be obedient. And then he makes a covenant, chapter 34, he makes a covenant with the people that he was going to do amazing things through Israel. Even though they don't deserve it, he's going to be their God as they, if they obey him. And then he calls again in verse 14, he, You shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Does that mean he's just he's full of jealousy? That's not the proper understanding. He is jealous for our affections. He is jealous for our attentions. He wants to be the one and only thing or person in our life that matters. Okay? That's what it's talking about here. Said my allegiances should not be divided as a human being. All of my allegiance should be toward the Lord God. If I am a man of divided allegiance, that is called what they call in the book of James being double minded. And you basically have one foot in the realm of evil, one foot in the realm of good. You can't do that. It was explained by Jesus this way one cannot serve two masters. Right? Because you'll love one and hate the other. And in my case, video games was my master for most of my life. And every time that I tried to have both God and video games at the same time, my heart always defaulted towards video games. And I abandoned God altogether. And he, this will happen to us too if we, our allegiances are divided. That's why God is jealous of our affections as well as he knows we cannot do it. It's not physically possible for us to love one and love the other at the same time. We will, our sinful nature will seek the things of this world much more easily than it would the things of God. That's just the way we're designed. 
And he also mentions this language you're going to see a lot during the course of the Old Testament through the uh, verse 17, 16, 17 here. It says, you are not to make a covenant with the people of the land of Canaan because you will play the harlot with their gods. What does that mean? You will prostitute yourself to these gods. You will, just like a prostitute, they just sell what God finds sacred and just sells it for nothing. And you just give yourself away in an unrighteous fashion to these foreign gods and lust after them. And it will be an unholy agreement. You shall not serve anything else. Play the harlot. And you're going to see that's why Israel goes through all the troubles that they had because God called them out right here. Do not make any arrangements with these people because they will cause you to play the harlot with me. And that's going to plague the entire history of Israel moving forward because they did not obey the Lord in this way. Now, it's very interesting as well, near the end of chapter 34, that Moses' face shone. He was just so enveloped in God's holiness that he just shone like the sun. I can't even imagine what that's like, but it must have been really cool that he, he was just so anointed with God's holiness, being in his presence so intimately that his face shone like the sun. He was, a, he was a light of the world, not the light. He was a light of the world. And he was an example. He not only demonstrated through his actions his connection with God, but also his face shone. You know, this was a very literal shining. But at the same time, you know, this same analogy can be used for us. Do people know that you're a Christian? The worst insult anyone could probably give you as a Christian is when you tell them you're a Christian and they say, what, really? I had no idea that you were a Christian. Ouch. That is the worst thing that can happen. And that's happened to me in the past. I remember being in college and that happened where I was talking to somebody. Um, and I, I think my wife was there when we were still dating. This guy was like, I had no idea you were a Christian, man. Because I didn't act like one. I didn't talk like one, and I was a terrible example of one, and that really stuck with me, you know, especially later on in life when I got my act together, it stuck with me how far off track I was and how poor of a witness I was, so we need to be, there needs to be evidence in our life that God is our light, and we shine his light in our lives and through our conduct. And then chapter 35, we see that they're uh, imbued by God, almost like God downloaded skill into these people. Doesn't that bring remind you at all of the, um, the concept of spiritual gifts, which we see a lot in the New Testament? The idea that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he gives you unique talents that are for his service on earth. And we see this with these people as well, that whoever was involved with the construction of this project, especially this one guy, um, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, we see that it says here that he has filled him with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit 
The Holy Spirit entered into him and gave him all this stuff, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, craftsmanship, in order to do the job at hand. And this can also be related into our spiritual life as well. God gives us everything that we need to do his job from the very beginning. We may not know how to use it. We may need to learn how to use it, go through some training. But from the moment you're saved, he gives us everything we need in order to serve him. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to seminary in order to be a Christian. But what he wants you to do, he gives you the ability to do it. We just have to seek how to use his gifts properly and have the proper posture of heart in doing it. And that's all I have for today. Again, thank you for listening. My name is Ryan, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, and God bless.